Our sermon passage this morning comes from the book of Titus, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from, for, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. Thank you, Julie. You may be seated, and as you find your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, we thank you that you have made us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you have redeemed us in Christ. We thank you that you have given us your word and your spirit that we might walk with you. And now, O oh Lord, we want you to shape us. We want our lives, our families, and this church to faithfully walk with you in a way that would be pleasing to you and would ultimately be good for your world and good for us. Lord, please, please help us. Please speak to us. Please reform and renew and reshape all of us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Uh, here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Titus. And we've, we've called this series Being Church <clears throat> simply because the book of Titus was written to help a man named Titus teach 
new churches how to be the church of Jesus Christ. This was the first book that we ever studied at Redeemer Church. And here we are, over a decade later, needing to hear and rehear, believe and rebelieve these truths again and again. So this morning, we're going to begin our journey of Titus chapter 2. We're going to spend multiple weeks in this passage. Today, what I want to do is I want to kind of take a step back from Titus 2 and look at it a little higher up and say, okay, what's the main thrust of Titus 2? And then in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll go down a little more detailed. Um, and we'll answer questions like this in the coming weeks. Like, what is it about the spirit of younger men that they just get one word, learn to be self-controlled, and all of a sudden the whole world changes. Like, like what is it about that? Like, like those are the kinds of questions that we'll wrestle with in the coming weeks. But, but today we want to take a step up and we, and we want to um, see what the thrust of this passage is. So we've entitled today's sermon, Discipleship. And I've used intentionally an overused, often misunderstood church cliche. Well, why would you do that, Jamie? Because I maybe want us to rethink it. So whatever comes to your mind when you hear the word discipleship, I just want to ask you to to put that on hold. And I submit to you that Titus chapter 2 in totality should tell us what true discipleship following Jesus looks like. Let's let Titus 2 reshape our understanding for the next few weeks. In short, Paul is eager for Titus to lead and teach all the Christians to have the gospel of Jesus reorient everything about them such that their living is truly Christian. That's the crazy thing. Our faith is this. God takes rebellious sinners and makes them forgiven followers. He takes rebellious sinners and he makes them into forgiven, transformed beings who build his kingdom in the world. The work of the gospel is intended to reorient who we are. And this passage kind of makes that clear. So, we have two points this morning. The goal and the power. The goal and the power. So first, if you want to take notes, the goal. I submit to you that the goal of Titus chapter 2 is this. Real Christians who truly follow Jesus and truly keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I am intentionally using biblical language from other passages to show you that what, Titus is, what Paul is driving Titus to is actually very consistent with 
the whole of the New Testament. So, so the goal of this passage is for, their, for Titus to raise up in churches real Christians who truly follow Jesus in the spirit of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The call of Christ is a call to deny self and follow Jesus. So who truly follow Jesus and truly keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the the goal of the passage, the, the goal of this work of the gospel on the island of Crete is intended to raise up real Christians who really know the Lord and really walk with him and really keep in step with the Spirit. Now you might say, okay, show me that in this passage. Let's look at it together. First, let's look at verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus Teach to the church what accords with sound doctrine. So Paul is eager for Titus to teach to the churches, to the people of the churches, the truth of God that is accurate, that is revealed, and that points to Christ. Discipleship, the work of the ministry, is never less than teaching true, sound, biblical doctrine. The work of the ministry is never less than teaching truth, teaching what God has revealed. Now, this is where I'm going to start meddling into your business, though. But most of us, Southern Evangelical Christians, we approach our faith as if the the last 14 verses of Titus 2 are not there. Our vision of discipleship, our vision of the work of the church is, is this, teach truth. Teach truth. So hear me. The work of the ministry is never less than teaching sound doctrine, but it's always more than just teaching truth. Because what the next 14 verses tell us is the truth of God rightly taught pushes and pulls and prods and calls God's people to follow the Lord and be renewed and be restored and walk with Jesus and keep in step with the Spirit. So if our teaching is not exposing any sin in us, It's not teaching the Bible. And if our teaching is not calling us to reorient who we are for the good of God's glory in the world, it's not teaching the Bible. And if our teaching is not causing us to say, hey, this part of my life probably needs to be reordered in light of what God's word says so that I can be more biblical, it's probably not teaching the Bible. The vision of the New Testament is not a bobblehead. 
You know, a little skinny body with a massive head that just does this all day. That's not, oh man, that hurt. That is not the vision of the Bible. Now let me tell you how I believe Redeemer can uniquely serve our community. We have a relative high IQ here at Redeemer. Like if there was a church composite SAT, I think we could stand undenied in our community. We got PhDs running around. We got MDivs running around. And you know what? None of that matters to the Lord unless we use it for godliness and for his kingdom and for mission. So here's how I think we can contribute. When the really knowledgeable Bible scholar, intellectual dude with nine diplomas on his wall says, Hey, the faith is not so much about studying Syriac variants of Titus 1, but it's repenting of your sin and walking with Jesus. So come do that with me. That's a testimony to what the Lord's really after. So see, this, this, this chapter of the scripture is not anti-truth, It's pro-truth. It's not anti-learning. It's pro-learning. But all of that with the goal, not that we can win a Bible drill or win a systematic theology exam or be the truth warriors in the world and smash everybody on Facebook, but with the goal that we are godly and compelling testimony of Jesus to the world. That's the vision. And you're like, all right, pastor, but show me that in here. Okay. Okay, let me show you. Teach what accords with sound doctrine, verse 2. By the way, all these breakdowns, older men, older women, young women, young men, bond servants, we're going to come back to those next week and talk about them. So I'm not going to get into the details of them, but just notice, what Paul's going to lay out is a six-fold vision of what to teach. Number one, teach the older men to be sober-minded dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. I hope you can at least grant to me what's going on here is Paul saying, teach with a vision of the older men knowing how to walk with Jesus and keep in step with the Spirit. You see that there? We'll come back and talk about that next week. Second, with a vision, verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So, so I hope you can grant to me that there's a vision here of teaching in such a way that older women know how to walk with Jesus. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. I hope you can at least grant to me that there's a vision in this passage of a teaching with a goal of young women knowing how to walk with Jesus. Fourth, verse six, likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. They got one thing. We'll come back. Okay, I hope you can grant to me that what Paul's urging Titus to do is to show the young men how to walk with Jesus. Seven, yourself, Titus, 
Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Sixth, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So latch on to that phrase, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Here is what Paul is saying. Titus, teach the doctrine, teach the truth with a vision of people hearing it, receiving it, believing it, being transformed by it, such that they know how to live their lives in a way that glorifies God. And in so doing, they put pleasing adornment on this truth. Which then comes with the really painful implication that we can also put unpleasing, negative aroma on the truth of the Lord. Paul's goal in this passage is to teach, to train, to spend time, to live together in such a way that all the people in all the categories of life are equipped to walk with the Lord, to know his truth, and to adorn his truth with godliness. Church, our work is to know the Lord, to know his word, to know his ways, and to walk in them, to walk in them. feel such a burden right now to pull, not just, but, but to pull all of God's people together and just say, every strand of everything is trying to separate and to divide and to convince this side that this side is God's enemy and this side that this side is God's enemy And and there are good, as we talked about last week, little t convictions that go into all of that. But what I want to do is, is, is to pull the string back together and say, friends, what the Lord wants from us is to know him, to unify around his gospel. How can we unify around his gospel? Well, that's the second point, but in short, it's our shared experience of our sin and our shared experience of our deliverance and our shared experience of his power at work in us, let's unify around that and let's first commit to the things that he would call us to, perhaps even demand of us. Let's walk with the Lord together. Now, my practical people that are like, dude, give me more, give me more, be tangible, give me more, give me more, be tangible, please come back next week. And if I'm really honest with you, probably like the next two weeks. 
okay a month. But we are going to slow down and, and get into all this in this paragraph about these different sections and talk about it and think about it and say, what does this look like and what does this mean and how can we truly help one another? But before I leave this section, here, here, here's the two commitments I want to ask of you, okay? Commitment number one, let's personalize this. The Lord would want me to know him, to know his ways, and to call others to walk in his ways. Know him, know his ways, and enable others to walk in his ways. That's commitment number one I'm asking for you from this section, okay? Here's commitment number two. More of you than you realize in this room are the older men and older women, okay? So many of you need to go back and reread that section and get out of the younger and get into the older, okay? Now, I do think we can contextualize this based on our congregation. So I had Amy James do a little um, statistical analysis for me. And of our church members, the average age is under 40. Is that right, Amy? Or is it, yeah, it, 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 it starts with a three, okay? So here's what I'm saying. If you're a part of Redeemer and your number starts with a four or higher, your work here is probably in a different list than you thought it was, okay? And as we stand at the near the 11th year of our church thinking down the path of another decade, this passing on thing is what the Lord would want from us. I turned 42 this week. I'm an older man in this congregation. Let's embrace the invitation to pass on what the Lord has passed to us. Second point, the power. I suspect and suppose that this conversation might feel daunting to us. Good, you've come, you've come to the right conclusion. This passage also tells us the power to live out this calling. <clears throat> and it's found in verses 11 through 14. The, the power for the calling is the grace of God extended in Jesus Christ. Let's just read the verses. They speak for themselves. Let's let them wash over us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what's the passage tell us? It tells us first that the 
cleansing and the renewing and the redeeming and the saving and the taking away the stain and power of sin is something that God does for us. God does it for us. We don't have to earn or perform or prepare for God's grace. God's grace was purchased by Jesus who lived and died and rose again to take away the the cost, the weight, the stain, and the power of sin in a forgiven and renewed people. The power of discipleship is first salvation that comes through Jesus. And second, the power for walking with Jesus and the power for keeping in step with the Spirit likewise comes from the grace of God. Think about this. It's it's December 31st. And tomorrow morning, you've made a resolution that you're going to exercise and you're going to follow a new meal plan. And somebody says, I'll do all the prep work. I'll do all the cooking. And I'll go jog for you. But you got to come along with me. I mean, are we going to be more successful in this endeavor? Yeah. Amplify that a million fold. And what we're being told here is the energy of this conversation is that God saves sinners through Jesus. That's grace. And the energy is the grace that saves, the passage says, is also the grace that teaches and the grace that changes and the grace that transforms. The power to be self-controlled, upright, godly in this age, not just when we die and go to be with the Lord, says verse 12, comes from the grace of God. The goal of the grace is not just a redeemed people, but a purified people, a people for God's possession. Friends, The power at work in us is Jesus. If we have Jesus, we have the power of God's grace at work in us. So when we start this conversation about church buzzword discipleship, about learning to walk in a biblical way, One rut that we could fall into is is this rut. I can do it. I can do it. Don't have so much confidence in yourself. But have confidence in the God whose spirit dwells within you. A second rut we might fall into is it, it doesn't matter how I live. 
This passage goes to great lengths to say it matters very much that the grace of God radically reorients and changes everything about us. Now, friends, we need God's help and God's power and God's spirit to be with us. As I, as I conclude, I want to conclude with, with two thoughts. Let's look at verse 15. Paul says, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then, and then hear this last sentence. Let no one disregard you. Do you feel the, the, the commissioned urgency in that language? These things are so vital that they must be talked about. They must be taught. There must be exhortation. And the other side of the coin of exhortation is rebuke, such that no one disregards it. Let's, with the Lord, the Lord and then Paul's urgency, take this calling seriously. Here's the second thing I want to point out to you. Go back to verse 7 with me. Paul says, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that any opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. What a vision for us, friends. A people who know the Lord and thereby display integrity, dignity, and sound speech, such that there's nothing evil no evil condemnations that, that stick. The way of life that this chapter of the Bible is calling the church to is not a glamorous one. It's not a glamorous one. It's, it's not where masses of acclaim are going to come running. But it is the one that pleases the Lord, that builds his kingdom, and is good for us. So we might come away from this passage saying things like, I need to love my spouse more. I need to repent of my anger. I need to... Serve others with joy. And this repenting, changing way of moving with the Lord is a quiet faithfulness that I believe brings God much honor and much glory. And it's a vision that I want to call us into. So Lord... 
In many ways, this sermon is just a beginning. So I pray you would start something, a work among us today. You would shape and change and move who we are such that we would walk with you. Please, Lord, take these words and as much as they are good and right and true, move us by them, I pray in Jesus' name.